folks from the church, uh, Kevin and Trish and uh, David and Balbona, and a uh, conference that Marilyn and I went to last year, and very, very good, and it's a church I've, I've told you about, and you can go online, Southland Church in Steinbeck, Steinbeck, a population of 13,000 people, and they have a church that's n- nearing now 5,000 people, and uh, all built on prayer, the importance of prayer. And um, they have 2,000 people that will gather in that church tonight just to pray. From young ones to people that have aged, like some of us. And so pray for them as they're there. Um, they're there till tomorrow uh, lunchtime. And uh, then be heading home. Amen. This morning I want to share with you a message called, not the uh, message title isn't on the slide, but it's called Choose as we were just singing. And uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20, we're probably all familiar with the story, Elijah. And uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20 says, So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. I was challenged some time ago by a, uh, a pastor, and um, so from his challenge to us, and as I listened, I, uh, I want to share with you some things that God placed on my heart about this whole thing, choose. And the message I want to share with this morning is not just for our church, not just for us, but it's for the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, and um, it's amazing how many people go on, on our, online and listen, and, and so for any of those that are listening online, it's, it's a message for the entire church of Jesus Christ. But when we look at our nation, and um, our nation of Canada is really at a crossroads, a very important place, what kind of a nation we will be. We've just elected, or our, our country has just elected a new leader of the Progressive Conservative Party. I don't know him. I've heard lots of good things about him. Um, I don't know our nation tells us to pray for those in authority over us, and we need to do that. When I think of our nation, some of, our, some of those living in our nation, they want to continue their, the trend in self-seeking pleasure and godlessness. And then there's others in our nation who potentially they want to return, in spite of our faults, they want to return to a life that is built on ancient values and principles that made us a desired place to live in our modern world. Canada is a desired place to live. It's known as a free nation, even though we know there's some things that have been eroding and some decisions that have been made that are not the most wholesome for our nation. And our nation is struggling, and people in our nation are struggling, and there's some who are happy to pursue godlessness. There's others who are very uh, unsatisfied with that, and they want to pursue the old values, even though they don't maybe understand what those are and how those would uh, relate to their life. People want to return to something, but they're not quite sure what that something exactly is to return to. 
And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, that we spoke of a few weeks ago, if we make the right choices, we can actually tip the scales in a positive way and make a difference in our society. Now, you may think, oh, come on, Nakana, that's really strange. No, I really firmly believe that we can do that as a church of Jesus Christ in our nation. All we need to do is ask and believe and trust God and make the right choices. The bride of Christ has a lot more influence than we realize we have. True believers in Jesus Christ can move the hand of God and see a change in the destiny of our nation if we realize the place that God has placed us. Now in our text, the people of God, they become somewhat distracted from their purpose, from their calling. They had been given a specific calling by God as a nation that God loved. And just as you and I have been given a specific calling as well in the earth. And those in our text were the descendants of Abraham. Just as the Apostle Paul in the New Testament said that Abraham was the father of faith for all of us. He's the one who set in motion everything throughout history, resulting in the Messiah being born, our Messiah, our Savior being born in the midst of that nation. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. I do believe that Canada has experienced a measure of blessing on a nation because of our uh, previous prime minister's um, approach to the nation of Israel. I believe that we have experienced a measure of blessing because of that, and I trust that the leaders in our nation will always have a place in their heart and in their government for the nation of Israel. But God has promised Abraham that he would lead Abraham to a place like no other. God says, I will take you from the land you are, from the place where you are, to a land that I will show you. And very similarly, God, that calling that God places on your life and my life. Now, I'm not advocating that God necessarily wants some of you to move from Calgary to Okotoks or wherever. I'm not saying that necessarily it's a physical move, but there's something. He wants to take us in the place where we once were and a life direction and practices where we were once heading towards from a specific way of thinking. And God says, I'm going to take you from this place, even if it's a good place. There's nothing in the Bible that says where Abraham was living was a bad place. It doesn't say it was a nasty place, it was a terrible place to live. It doesn't say anything of that. But God is going to take you, even if you're living in a good place, but it might just be short of the place or position in life that God has purposed for you to live in. God has a plan and a purpose. Now here's a question I want to pose to us this morning. Is the place that you are living the place where God wants you to be? And I mean the value system. What you're spending your time occupied in. Is that place the place where God wants you to be? Or could he be saying, as he said to Abraham, I want you to move from this place. 
from this way of thinking, from this value system, from this involvement, I want you to move to this place so that you might fulfill the purpose and plan I have for your life. And he said, I'm going to take you to a place that is unique to you. And God has a specific place and purpose that is unique to you and to me. It is easy to blend in corporately with a larger group. You're with your friends in church and it's easy to sort of you know, go with the flow and and sing along with those that sing along, and everybody thinks that everything is good. No one really knows what's going on inside your life. I want to remind us this morning through this message that God's eye is focused on you. God's eye is focused on you. And he has a calling on your life. And God says to Abraham in that second and third verse, he says, I will, I will make you a great nation. I will give you a reputation that is directly attributable to me, God. You will be someone who will demonstrate and show my reputation. I want to do something in and through your life that will make God's name great. God will do it. And people who once knew you, they're going to take another look at you and they're going to say, What happened to that person? How can this be? How did you change? And the only answer you're going to be able to say is, it was God. It was God who changed my life. God took me from where I was to the place where I am now. And he's given me hope for a future. I wasn't saying the place where you're now is was terrible or bad or whatever. He's just saying, I have a, a further and deeper plan and purpose for your life. If you'll just choose to follow me. Now, just like Abraham, God blessed him, and as he left one place and followed God into this preferred future, God continued to bless him. Like the Apostle Paul says, I've not yet attained what God has for me, but I'm leaving behind what needs to be left behind. I'm pressing on to that mark, that high calling of God for my life in Christ Jesus. It's no longer, friends, Kesara, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. It is what is God's plan? What is God, what is God saying to my life? And God says, I will bless those who bless you. Same promise. I will curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed through my blessing in your life. Friends, the blessing of God in our life is not so that we could amass more. It's so that we could influence our society and our world. That we might touch our nation. That we might change and see a shift in what's going on in our nation. You'll be guided, he says. You'll be protected. You'll be provided for. Friends, we need to believe that we are in the hands of God. Not anyone else's hands. Regardless of how difficult things might get. Remember this. You are... And will continue to be until God says you aren't. Let that sink in for a minute. You are and you'll continue to be until God says you aren't. Whose hands are we in according to the Bible? We're in the palm of his hand. Nothing, the scripture says, will separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Now, you know what nothing means? Nothing. Our lives are in the hands of Almighty God. And we sang about Almighty God this morning. And at the time of Elijah's question in our text, 
most of the, bless you, most of the people of that generation had become sidetracked. Yeah, I can't hear. See, had become sidetracked from God's call on their life. Most of the people. The scripture tells us there were 7,000 more who had not bent their knee to the spirit of the age. Remember the prophet saying, I'm the only one left. You ever wondered if you're the only one left in your neighborhood that loves Jesus? God says there's 7,000 more. So there's 7,001, counting Elijah, left, who had not bent their knee to the spirit of the age. And instead of the blessing of God turning the people's attention to the cries of those without hope, the people had become focused inward. That is a travesty even in the present day church of Jesus Christ. The blessing of God that believers are experiencing, unfortunately at times, turns us inward instead of realizing God blesses us for a purpose and it's not for ourself. It's that we might indeed be a vessel and a channel to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who don't know. And the problem is when we get so... You're going to think I'm scolding you and I'm not, I'm not scolding you this morning. I, I, I really do love all of us. And I'm speaking in a broad context. We are so, in so many ways, so blessed and so concerned about the blessing we have and trying to hold on to it, when really only God wants us to do is be a conduit of his blessing. That that which God gives us and transforms and changes our lives will be used by us to touch other people's lives and see their lives transformed and our nation changed to the glory of God. Here, here was a, a nation... Elijah was facing that they had kind of lost their way. Their ears, they had been open to the false religious voices of the day, leading them deeper and deeper into error. So God gave some instruction to the wisest man who lived, Solomon, regarding the seductive power of religion, and especially when religion becomes mixed in with sin. When religion offers a cheap grace that is not in the Bible, a grace that says, you can do this and heaven will still be your home. You can do this and still be accepted with God. You can still continue to participate in something that God says is forbidden and still inherit eternal life. Cheap grace. So Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 7, notice verse 6. While I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman. Strolling down the path by her house, it was at twilight in the evening. As deep darkness fell, the woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She's often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, and with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. Stop there for a moment. I fulfilled my vows. In other words, perhaps she's saying, you can worship God where I am. You can have me, seductive pleasure, and you can have God too. In the place where I dwell. I offer you a grace that allows you to sin against the good man of the house. 
Notice verse 15, she continues, You're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed my myrrh, with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses, for my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. In other words, this cheap grace theological position in our world is saying, don't worry. There's time to get right with God. Don't panic. He isn't coming anytime soon. You aren't going to stand before him tomorrow, so why don't you just enjoy this? It's okay. He's not coming now. You might know that whatever any of us, whatever we're involved in could be wrong and it isn't what God has in store for our life. It isn't really fulfilling the purpose and plan that we sense God in our life, but we can enjoy it, but it's just for a time. He isn't returning yet, so come worship with me in this place of compromise. Worship in this place where you can have sin and salvation at the same time. It smells good here. It looks good. There are peace offerings being offered here. This is a good place, she says, to this young man who was void of understanding. Notice verse 20. He's taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery, flattering lips. Flattering lips. You know, there's one of the, one of the, One of the ways to identify a false prophet, they'll come to you with flattering lips, telling you how nice you are and how good you are and how well you're doing and things just, you know, and just butter you up. Just lay it on thick. They'll always tell you how wonderful you are. Notice verse 22. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. He has no idea that what he was involved in not only threatened his eternity, but it threatened to take away the life that God was promising to him. Friends, it's such a tragedy. If in the church of Jesus Christ, we begin to mix with the things that God says we ought not to mix... I'm not here to tell you the do's and don'ts of the relationship with Jesus Christ. You're well able to read the scripture and listen to the Holy Spirit and know that when God is speaking to you about something, he's speaking to you. It's a tragedy, though, when people come into the house of God, wherever that might be, here or anywhere, and they're living in sexual sin, thinking there's no consequence for this. Because Paul ran into it in the Corinthian church. It's such a tragedy when we mix these things. When God's own people become so mixed with the things of this world that their thinking is no longer biblical thinking. They've embraced the value system of a fallen society and out of their mouth comes blessing and cursing at the same time. And the apostle James said, these things ought not to be. Such a tragedy If God's house is filled with bitterness or filled with unforgiveness or thinking that 
this is admissible to the kingdom of God. Even though Jesus said, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Such a tragedy that believers think they can steal at the workplace, even though scripture says that the thief dwells outside the city of God. Now, I'm not trying to make us into black clothed, no chrome on our vehicle people. I'm just saying, God has a plan and God has a purpose for your life and my life. And maybe he's saying to us like Abraham, maybe the place where you are right now isn't necessarily bad. Or maybe there are some things that are mixed. But maybe God is saying, I want you to choose to come over here because here's where I want to fulfill my plans and purpose for your life. Friends, my desire, my prayer, one of my prayers for us as a church is that we would not fall short of fulfilling the purpose and plan that God has for our lives. He has so much in store for us. So many things that he wants to bless us with and pour through us with that we might see a change come in our community, in our city, in our province, in our nation because of the power of God. Not because of anything who we are or who the church in our city is. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 16, this is kind of interesting little dialogue he was having. He says, to what can I compare this generation? What is this generation like? He says it's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. We played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking. And you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks and you say... He's a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. And so the Lord, Jesus speaking, he's saying, even though God was calling his people to something deeper, they couldn't hear his voice anymore. Jesus says, to what can I liken this generation? No matter how I speak, you don't move. I can play music, I can speak, I can yell, but nothing moves you from where you are to your purpose in the earth. To be a people separated unto God, to be a holy people. Scripture says to be a peculiar people. That's not to be weird, but to be different, set apart. A people given the power of the Holy Spirit by God in order to say no to sin and yes to the will of God. Now, friends, I may indeed be preaching to the choir this morning, and that's okay. But I believe that God wants us to be a people that make a difference in our world. A force in society for good. And may God help us to be able to influence people in our day towards that which is godly. Our influence is negated if we're intermixed with the ways of this world. It's interesting the conversations you can have on Facebook. A friend of mine posted something on Facebook the other day. I guess if you know Facebook, you can, you can find this, whatever. But posted a, a question the other, the other day on, on Facebook. And so I, I watched some of the, read some of the dialogue. And finally, I, I, I had enough. And I posted, I said, because the context there was that um, the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, are no longer welcome in the church. And so they're choosing to 
they're, they're feeling they have to leave the church because they're not accepted. So I, I just wrote down, I said, it's interesting then that, you know, because I said it in my message a few weeks ago, some people love the church, but they, or love Jesus, but don't love the church. And how can you love Jesus and not love the church? A friend of mine posted, he said, he said uh, it's interesting, the Bible says that, you know, if you say you love God, don't love your brother, love the Father's not in you. And I'm thinking, how, how can this be? How can people say, you know, I'm not wanted in the church? And I wanted to post some more things. I, I really was sensing some kind of anointing. I'm not sure if it was God or not, but so I refrained. But I, I read some of the other posts where people were saying, um, someone disagreed with my post saying, well, you know, it's possible for a person to, to love a person not like their spouse. And uh, I, I could have posted back and said, well, in the context of relationship, there's no relationship there then of, with that person. If you don't, I mean, on and on it could go. But, and then people posted and saying, you know, don't realize the amount of pain and uh, heartache that has been basically inflicted upon people by leaders. And leaders don't care. And they don't care for the people. And they don't, and I want to post back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute now. The Bible says every one of us is to love one another. We're all supposed to be encouraging. We're all supposed to be doing the work of an event. We're all supposed to be loving one another, praying for one another. And why is it just the leaders that are getting hammered here? Why is it just the pastors and evangelists? And, and, and I thought, man, there's, there's, a, there's a disease that's going on in, in the so-called church of Jesus Christ that is, is missing the biblical standing of who we are. And I just, I, nothing against those people because obviously there's some hurt in their life and some things have happened. And I, I pondered, God, I don't know what's going on in these people's lives, but somehow, some way, we bring someone to bring healing and health and strength. But I wonder if there's this mixture coming in. And so the church is losing its influence in society because it's not what God, not functioning the way God is wanting us to function totally. And how many people are there today who will not leave where they are to embrace what God has called them to be? That choose sin over surrender. They become easily persuaded by a seductive false grace. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul who said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, verse 10. Please understand, this, this is just God's word, okay? And he's saying not to be deceived. He says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived by a message of cheap grace. Friends, it is worth it. Or maybe I should rephrase that as a question. Is it worth it to live a mixture in your life? Elijah was a man of God, and the people of his generation knew it. So he had arranged this confrontation up on Mount Carmel between the proponents of this seductive spirit. They had their altar. It was a pleasurable altar. It was filled with passionate, read the story, filled with passionate, well-meaning people. But they were wrong. It lacked truth. It was pleasurable, but powerless. 
Read what happened when they, they prayed. Nothing happened. Powerless. If we are in a wrong pursuit of Jesus Christ, it can be extremely pleasurable, but extremely powerless as well. And so the question, another question in front of us this morning is, are we going to be a people of God? Are we going to return to our purpose or continue in our purpose? Or are we going to trust, are we going to trust the Holy Spirit to make us into what we could never hope to be on our own? Are we going to believe that He can make a difference in our life and through our life? Are we going to trust God for the power to turn away from everything that we know is wrong? Are we? If there's anybody here or anybody you know or anybody listening on the internet and you're stuck in pornography, don't tell me you can't get rid of that laptop. Don't tell me you can't put some filters in place. Don't tell me you can't become accountable or put that screen away. You trust God for the power to do it, and he'll do the rest. We can make a choice. Don't tell me you can't forgive. You can write a letter. You can send a card. You can arrange a meeting. You can simply do it by faith. Friends, trust me. It is not always easy. Bessie. An ongoing, ongoing thing. And you're wondering, have I reached the 70 times 7 that Peter was talking about? How many times do I forgive? Trust is one thing. Forgiveness is something else. I'm not saying that somebody who's lived in an abusive relationship, as my wife and I talked with somebody, lady, not too long ago, sitting in her home, and she was telling us over years and years and years, she lived in a relationship with a man who went to church every Sunday, went to men's group every time men's group was on, who purported to be a believer in everything else and was kind of the leader of the church, but when he was at home, was the nastiest person you can think of. And yes, she'd forgiven him, but could she trust him? Should she trust him? Unless there was a repentant heart and there was fruit of repentance, you're gone, Charlie. I mean, I don't mean Charlie, but you're gone, bud. Hope there's not a bud here too, as well. But forgiveness is one thing. Extending trust to that same individual or that same person—that's another thing. But we can, we can choose, and we may have to choose day after day, hour after hour. We choose to forgive. Maybe you too have embraced a level of worship that is leaving you far from where you should be. I think sometimes we can worship worship. We don't worship worship. We worship Jesus. We worship him. He's worthy of our praise. And as we worship him, it transforms and changes us that we might indeed be his ambassadors and emissaries in our society, in our world, to bring change in our world. You and I are called to be a marvelous light in our world, called to bring this message of freedom to our community. Notice Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives, that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. I worry about our attitudes when we leave church service and saying, that was a great service. 
And as we drive off the parking lot, our life and vision and ministry has not changed. I speak to me too. Maybe we should have a sign on on our sign as you leave. You are now entering the mission field. As you drive out onto Eamon Road. Because friends, when we leave here, pumped up, excited, encouraged, or whatever emotion it is, when we leave here, it's all because God wants us to be a blessing. And change our world. Not that people might say, man, I'd never want to be a Christian looking at that person. We've all heard those stories. Do you know how that preacher acts when he's outside? Of the, I, wouldn't, I would never go to that church. He just cut me off on Crow Child. Some of my friends in life group, they tell me, Pastor, I saw you on Crow Child. You were driving a little fast. I said, how fast were you? Well, he said, I was driving slow. Well, I was just driving faster than you then. But there are times that I follow my wife's example and I drive faster. <laughs> She's not here, so I can say that. When she listens to this, can, can we bleep that out? No, no. In First Kings 18 where we started Elijah builds another altar and everything he did regarding that altar was very symbolic bringing the people back to their intended purpose with God and with one another bringing them back to not using the sacrifice on the altar for their own benefit but realizing that we are to be giving so that others in the world can be blessed through us. We don't just gather here on Sunday mornings to be blessed. The blessing we receive has a purpose that we might take that blessing when we leave from here and in our neighborhood, our community, our home, the place we work, where we go to school, we might be a blessing to people because Scripture says, and the promise was given to Abraham a long time ago, that we ourselves are children of Abraham in that sense, been grafted in. That God wants us too to be a blessing to the nation, to our community, to where we live. Yes, we're blessed. I'm blessed. I have a new heart, I have a mind that's being renewed. Day by day, I have a new vision. I have a new home laid up for me in glory. I have a new strength. I have a new song. All by the grace of God, I have it. But it isn't for me. I get to experience it, but it's for others. Like the design of blessing in Abraham's life. It is so that others would be blessed through you and through me. For those who don't have hope, they might know that they can have hope. For those who live in darkness, that they might be able to see. For those who are wounded, that they might indeed be healed. For those who are in prison of whatever making it is, that they might be set free. That is the purpose of God's blessing in my life. 
Elijah builds his other altar. The people did not know that their purpose had been lost. 1 Kings 18, verse 30. Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. He used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars of water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people, notice here, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. What a merciful God. What a prayer of faith. Here was a people who were following false gods, false, false worship. And, and Elijah's praying and saying, Oh Lord God, you do this. Not so that, you know, I'm going to be famous or my reputation is going to be built, but know that your reputation will be known. That you will be known to be God. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Oh, that the church today might fall on their face and say, Yes, the Lord is God. Not this group, not that personality, not that thing, not the other. The Lord, He is God. When the people turned again, considered the place to which God was calling them, they found that God was willing to make his power known to them. Friend, now they were in a state where they were following these false prophets. They had been seduced. Their worship was wrong. They were messed. And yet, God, in his mercy... Let his power be known to them again. Oh Lord, let your power be known to us again. Let your power be made known to us. May we experience, oh God, a fresh baptism of God's Holy Spirit. A fresh touch from heaven. Praying that I pray that God would lead us deeper and deeper into what he has in this season of our lives. He would reveal himself into a more and more a gracious and merciful God. If we were going to make a difference in our nation, then we must draw a line in the sand. Declaring, who is on the Lord's side? If God be God, follow him. And Elijah presented the questions to the people, if you remember, and, they, and they, it says there, they uttered, not a word. Said nothing. Until 
Suddenly, they saw the power of God and rediscovered their purpose. My prayer is, oh God, help me, help us as your people to see once again your power, that we might fully understand our purpose is not that we might bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, but that I might be a blessing and a servant in our society. You know, Moses, probably none of us would, would question the fact that Moses is probably one of the greatest leaders in Scripture. I mean, I mean, he's leading two million people for Pete's sake. And they weren't always nice to him. Probably one of the greatest leaders, but do you know he was never called a great leader? He was always called the servant of the Lord. And I wanted to tell those people on Facebook, it's not about your position or calling or gifting, whether you're an apostle, prophet, pastor, preacher, teacher. None of that. Because we're all called to be a servant of the Most High God. Oh Lord, help us to see your power. Help us to experience your blessing. Help us to experience your Holy Spirit in such a way that it won't be about title, it won't be about position. It'll just be we want to serve you, Lord, and allow the blessing that you've allowed mercifully on us and in us to flow through us to a world that is lost and going to hell. Oh God, help us. Help us to see your power again. Help me, oh God, experience your power and your anointing and everything in my life. Not that I might contain it to myself. People stood there, didn't utter a word. But when they saw that God was willing to be merciful, that God was willing to send another Pentecost, you might say, God is willing to raise up another generation. God is willing to put power in your prayers again. God is willing to bring your children back home. God is willing to give us the courage to stand in the marketplace and declare who he is to this generation. God is willing to stretch out his hand and heal. And God is willing to empower his people to cause devils to flee one more time. God is willing. And when they saw it, when they finally understood what their purpose was on earth, they fall on their face and they say, the Lord, he is God. There is none other. I pray, oh God, when I wake up in the morning, let me, let me remember to pray, oh God, you are God. There's none other. There's none other. We cannot create a secondary God. We can't substitute another Jesus for the one that's in the Bible. We can't create another level of service than the call of the cross. If we're going to make a difference, the church needs to leave their lethargy and get back to the cross of Jesus Christ and express these simple words. Uttered by Saul after he met Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. Lord, what will you have me to do? What will you have me to do? What kind of person do you want me to be? I know for sure that God wants every one of us to walk away from sin 
And that's where it all begins. Some here, perhaps, you need to turn from that known sin and repent. Like I said, I'm not mad at you. Please. I'm standing in the gap. For you. If I were to flatter you in your sin... I would be a false shepherd to you. And I'm not, I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm just saying, if there's some things that we need to turn from, let's choose God's purposes for our life. If you're living in a good place and and, and you're, you're doing everything that God has called you to do and you're understanding your purpose and plan and you're fulfilling that and you're being a, a blessing, God bless you, keep doing it. But if God's Holy Spirit is saying something to you, choose Jesus. See, false shepherds don't care where you end up in eternity. As long as you fill the pew and pay the tab, they'll tell you what you want to hear. I want to see you at the throne of God. I want to see every person comes into this place. I want to see every person I meet. I want to see them at the throne of God. And this life as we know it will soon be over. And I'm going to be there and I want to to see everybody I know there. Because they chose Jesus. And we can say, I choose to walk away from wrong. I choose to walk away from that wrong attitude. I choose to embrace the will of God. I choose to receive the strength to be the person that God has called me to be. I choose Jesus Christ. I choose to be a person that's going to make a difference in my workplace, in my school, in my neighborhood, in my community, in my family, in my home. I choose To be that person. I choose. To live a holy life as God strengthened me. I choose to speak right. I choose to think right. I choose to live right. I choose to open the Bible and begin to read it. and To study it and learn it. So that I might be a workman that's not ashamed. When my enemy comes against me. I choose to pray when others choose to play. I choose to live for the kingdom of God because he is God. And he's promised to give me the power to be the man, the woman, the young person he's called me to be. No one can choose for you. Maybe it's time for you to say, Lord, you're God. And you have full rights to my life. You have the right to my future. You have the right to my heart. You have the right to tell me what is right, to tell me what is wrong. Jesus, I choose you. And it all begins with repentance. We cannot know the will of God for our lives until we repent of what's keeping us from going that direction. You cannot know the will of God for your life until you repent of what is keeping you from going in that direction. And then trust God for the strength to turn away from what you need to turn away from and trust him. None of us have to live in defeat anymore. We can trust him for the strength. 
And we can say, God, I choose you. I choose your will for my life. I can make a difference, God, with your help. I choose you. Will you totally choose him? I'm not saying, yes, I've asked Jesus Christ into my life. I'm born again. I'm, I got my ticket to heaven. No, I'm saying that if the Holy Spirit is going a little bit deeper in our life this morning, has he been going in mine? Lord, I choose you in this area. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you, Jesus. I choose you. And friends, sometimes it's not a popular road to choose Jesus Christ over and above what modern religion says is okay. I choose Jesus. Worship team, I wonder if you could come and if you could lead us in that song one more time, Wes. Today we choose. Today we choose. And while they're leading us in this song, and maybe your whole life, maybe some area of your life, maybe some room in your life, whatever, where you know the Holy Spirit has just been saying to you in this area, in this attitude, in this whatever, whatever it is, I choose Jesus Christ. I choose him. And Lord, I want to trust you that my life can make a difference, even more of a difference. Where I live at home, where I work, my community, my neighborhood, even through our church, in our city, I choose Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some things you need to turn from. Maybe there's some things you need to repent of. That's between you and the Lord. Or maybe it's just a recommitment saying, thanks, Lord, for the reminder. I choose you. I choose you. I ask you to stand. The worship team is going to lead us. And maybe you just want to make that step of faith and come to the front and say, Lord, choosing you I'm, I'm the first I'm the first guy here please I'm the first one here Lord Jesus I choose you sometimes sometimes my attitude has been less than it should be sometimes whatever Lord I choose you I choose you in my attitude I choose you in my thinking I choose you the way I live I choose you the way I conduct myself I choose you oh God I choose you Let's believe that we're going to experience again a great outpouring of the Spirit of God. And as we're that living sacrifice, His power and His Holy Spirit will consume us in a way that others will see Jesus in and through us. And if that's you and you say, yes, I choose Jesus Christ above all else. And Lord, you're speaking to me and I'm bringing that area to you. Whatever. Will you come for a few moments as we conclude? stand here while the team leads us in this great song. Today I choose Oh yes, so 
that's your choice, will you lift your hands to the Lord? I choose. I choose Jesus over everything. I choose Jesus. Father, we choose Jesus. 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 Jesus, we choose you. You chose us before we ever had the inclination to choose you. We choose you, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us, oh God. Help us, oh God. Lord, bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance on you and give you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Choose Jesus. But you can make a difference. And you will make a difference. And no doubt you are making a difference. Pray the Holy Spirit's power be upon you this week. God bless you.